Mimeo Talk of the Trade, sharing marketing and sales success stories. Hey everyone, Mike McNary here, welcoming you to another episode of Mimeo's Talk of the Trade podcast, where we share marketing and sales success stories. The idea is we bring best practices, takeaways, and strategies for our audience to bring back and apply to their revenue mission. So excited to be here. Also excited to announce again that we are available on Spotify. So if you check out the podcast on Spotify, please make sure to follow. Not only follow, tell your friends about it, tell everyone how great it is. And uh, we really appreciate all the feedback and fanfare that we've gotten so far. So thanks everyone for participating and for listening. Really excited about today's episode. The title is Thinking Outside of the Box, How to Motivate Your Sales Team. We've got a fantastic guest that I'm, I'm pumped to have, Leslie Douglas, who is the Director of Sales Training at JB Sales Training. Leslie, welcome. Mike, thanks so much. Really appreciate you having me here today. We're excited for the expertise and insights, Leslie. So uh, as I said, you're the Director of Sales Training at JB Sales Training. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your role and uh, what you're up to these days? Yeah, I am the director of sales and and training. And the biggest piece of my role is training sales reps on innovative ways to prospect and close business. But along with that, I get to also be selling myself. So a really cool mix of staying in the role actively prospecting, managing my own pipeline. So it's kind of like I still have to practice what I preach. Yeah, that's great. It keeps you sharp, I'm sure, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so you, you were at Dude Solutions previously as a senior sales leader and before that at Channel Advisor and Oracle. Uh, what was the switch like moving from you know a sales contributor then sales leader into this sales training position at JB Sales Training? Definitely. I actually held a training role about seven years ago. I switched from um, an individual contributor into that role. I, I was more passionate helping other people close their deals. And I was so excited to celebrate them um, than I was getting about my own pipeline. And I was really just interested in learning about how people take on new information how they store it, how they implement it, how we learn and how we then take action. So I made that move to the training role. And um, you know, through that in my organization, there was a need for sales leadership. And I was able to kind of combine the two because I think all sales leaders are still training and the continuous education and the learning and the sharing. Um, so it was really natural. And I think it was a good fit for me to be able to um, share learnings, but also continue my own growth as well. And now it's just come full circle moving into this role because I get to see all sides of the puzzle and be also my own trainer and my own rep and right. seeing what other people are doing and, and implementing that. Yeah, that's great. I, I really do think there are a lot of parallels between being in that sales trainer position and a leadership role in sales and that you're constantly trying to, you know, impact your team in the, the best way. You, you have to, I think, uh, innately really enjoy seeing people grow and develop and be able to celebrate their successes uh, mm -hmm. versus your own. And I think if you don't have those attributes, I, I can see either role being difficult on a day-to-day. -day. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, 
you know, this last year, we've talked to some other guests and obviously people uh, in sales, uh, networking, et cetera. Things have changed for everyone in one way or another. What's, uh, what's the biggest changes that you've seen uh, at JB Sales over the last year or so? Yeah, I think, you know, the very obvious ones, um, and I know you're feeling it too, is that we're all working from home now. And in the training world, that means that we're not traveling to deliver training. And now it's all virtual. And at first I was like, man, I don't know about this, but, you know, all the Zoom that we're on all day. And um, I'm seeing it be really an interesting dynamic shift where instead of standing in front of a room for an entire day and being the person between all of the sales reps and, you know, the open bar after the training. Hmm. Now it's like coming in in two hour chunks and being able to talk about something really tactical and strategic and then go apply it and then yep. come back a couple days later and let's, you know, talk through how that worked and then try something new and apply it, which has been a really great shift and I think really positive overall. Yeah, you know, there's going to be some things that stay with us from this that are not too bad, right? Yeah. A lot of this has been, uh, you know, disastrous, right? In, in certain respects, depending on you know your experience, but I think a lot of good will come out of it too. And I and I agree with you that um, some of the things that I looked at initially, we'll say last March, as being big obstacles or things that would be very difficult to overcome, I think turned out a lot better than I expected. So completely agree. Um, I can relate to that, and I think others can too. So um, it really resonates. Now, I always like to ask this question: What do you like best about what you're doing now? Oh man, I think my favorite part is that I feel like a scientist. Mm, all right. <laughs> you know, I it's the constant evolving and testing, and you know, yeah, I'm sure it's the same with all sales teams. As soon as you find something that works, then it stops working, right? Yeah. And it's like, as soon as that subject line is like, oh yeah, this is the great one. It has great open rates up. Oh, nope. Yeah. That's stale. Now let's figure out something new. So it's that constant testing and um, just trying out new things and, and getting to meet new people along the way and hear how they're evolving their sales approach and then trying what they're trying. And it's so fun. It's like being a scientist. Yeah. I love it. And it's funny, we had a conversation, uh, my director of sales development and I earlier today, we were just kind of talking about how we think the sales development role is the, the hardest one in sales, right? You mm -hmm. know, you get rejected so much, the volume of work that you've got to do, and you're just starting out and trying to navigate things. But it's really, you know, you're uphill all the way, because like you said, the minute you think you got it right and something that works and is scalable, you know, what what's successful completely changed and shifts. It does a 180 and now you've got to reinvent yourself on the fly to get the same productivity that you got three months ago. Exactly. So, yeah. But it's fun too. Yeah. I like that. A scientist, sales scientist, Leslie. Yeah. All right. Well, today we're talking about motivating sales teams. So why don't we kick it off with, you know, well, let me ask this. When motivating, thinking about motivating salespeople and sales teams, what's one of the first thing that people, uh, first things that people need to think about? I'm a strong believer that one of the first things we have to think about when we're looking at our team from a motivational standpoint is that not everyone is the same. Right. Every person is individual. And a lot of times we get into this mentality in sales that everyone is just in it for the money. They care about the money. They're motivated by money. I'm here for my paycheck and making my commission. 
And okay, sure. Even if that's true, even if they're saying that in their interview, even if you know we all get excited to close that deal and see our paycheck go up, yes. But everyone has a different way that they're then utilizing that money and understanding how they're going to then take that. What what are they saving for? I think right. that that can be a really key factor to understanding their intrinsic motivators. Yeah. What's the impact, right? This is what you want, but but why do you want it, right? Mm-hmm. Specifically. Yeah. And I think we all like to think that, oh, you know, what motivates salespeople? Money. And that's it. Yeah. Um, I think it's good. We want to hear that money, money motivates them because that's how we incent them in comp plans. And, you know, uh, we hope is a driving force to success and, and, you know, upward mobility, but yeah, there's more to it. So um, what's your process then? If, you know, you're looking beyond the money, right. Or what the money might be for, if you're looking at, you know, fine, how do I motivate this person? What's your process for determining what it is that motivates a specific individual? How do you get to the bottom of that? I feel like if you're new to an organization or new to a team, it's easy because you can make it part of your, you know, your interviewing process or your getting to know the team process in your one-on-ones, you know, talk to me a little bit about what makes you tick. But if you're with the your team for a while, I built it into my goal setting process. So we're going to talk about this. Okay, what are you saving for? What are your big goals this year? Let's not just put let's put a specific dollar amount. Let's put a specific item. Let's talk about some people were more motivated by seeing that W2 number tick up. Okay, let's shoot for a specific number. But if we hear smart goals all the time, if we can tap into that as a leader to then keep their eyes forward, I feel like we get caught up in the day-to-day as a rep and we're saying, you know, I want to close this business, but we're not thinking about necessarily how many steps that's taking us towards this larger goal. And the leaders and the managers can bridge that gap and keep people focused on this further down the road, you know, pie in the sky that they're looking for. Right. And keep them driving to that goal and and make sure that they know even on the worst day that that goal is still within reach, right? Exactly. So, yeah, and and I like that too. You know, you want to know from a rep if it's, you know, the money, what are they using it for? Do they want to be top of the leaderboard? Do they want to make a president's club or an equivalent, you know, within an Mm -hmm. organization? And you can really kind of hone in on that throughout the year to continue to, you know, motivate, uh, drive results and outcomes and hopefully behaviors too. So right. how often do you check back in, right? So, you know, you're probably bringing this up, you, you do your goal setting and I'm sure it's something that you're talking about in real time, but you know, is there any point in time in which you do an audit on that and make sure it's the same things that are motivating these team members? Yeah, definitely. I, I liked to build it into my one-on-ones. So it's like, okay, where are we tracking to this progress? But if that's too much, like, I would audit like every quarter, every six months and just say, because sometimes maybe they wanted to buy that car. They closed a big deal and they bought the car. Now what, (laughs) right? How do we keep their, like, what's next? What else are you saving for? So I think that it's imperative to know where they are in those milestones and what they're accomplishing so that we can always have that next item that we're tracking with them. Also from a celebration purpose too, right? If they're hitting their goal halfway through the year, three quarters of the way through the year, that's something to celebrate for them 
And I feel like that helps your bond um, and your trust factor in leadership as well. Yeah, it does. And it can be also invigorating, right? I think people with the right sales profile will take a success and use it to catapult them to the next success, right? Yes. Yeah. So the best ones do, or, or many of them, right? Right. As so. soon as you uh, book a, a demo or you close a deal, it's the best time to get on the phone and do another one. <laughs> right. You got the hot hand, right? Exactly. Don't stop shooting. These are sports metaphor. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're checking back in every six months, reinforcing this with the team, making sure that you're on top of what's motivating them. Um, you know, is there ever been an instance in which something that's motivated a team member has been kind of new or unique to you and you've had to pivot or adapt or do they usually fall into the same, say, four or five things? I don't know. There were some people who got really detailed. Um, it depends on your relationship with the person, right? Yeah, but I, of course. I've been shocked by some um, that I think it just like took me off guard for a minute and I was like, I don't even know how to quantify this. <laughs> I had someone who said um, she was very tall, shout out to Courtney, and she really wanted to save up to buy a bathtub that she could stretch (laughs) out in because every bathtub she sat in, she was like, I'm too tall. It doesn't work out. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how much that bathtub costs so we can quantify this. Right. (laughs) And it just kind of catches you off guard. (laughs) Or I think that... um, you know, just being able to help them see a bigger picture. I was oftentimes had to adapt to people who uh, maybe their dreams were a little bit on the smaller scale. Okay. Yeah. Let's, it's not wrong. It's what they want. And it was like, okay, let's talk about what that looks like then. Maybe it's something that's more about comfort within their family and being able to afford the mortgage and so on and so forth, right? That's a different kind of conversation. How can we push them past that? How can we keep them um, happy and comfortable and motivated to move beyond the basics for themselves? Yeah. Get them to be maybe a little more aspirational, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think that's always good, right? Encourage your team to believe that they can do more than they think they can do, right? Yeah. But sometimes you have to cross off that first micro goal to take a step towards that bigger purpose, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, build credibility by showing them that they can do it and they can do more. Exactly. I think that's, that's right on. I I really like that, Leslie. All right. So we talked a little bit about finding the individual motivators, right? What's another, uh, we'll call it key strategy to motivating a sales team. I think that there's a way you can be really creative with your rewards. A lot of times we go to that financial, here's a gift card. Here's my, you know, Starbucks, Dunkin', here's your Target, your Visa gift card. Um, I actually read this study um, that talked about companies that adopted different incentives, different types of incentives beyond monetary, had 33% more salespeople hit their quota. I thought that was really interesting. It's more about okay, what we talked about, what would they care about? What other kinds of incentives can we put in place? And um, Mike, I don't know if that's true with your team, but something I saw was letting people leave early on Friday, just that time. It's a big one. 
I love that you said that because the first time I, I actually saw that, that was such a surprising one for me when I think, you know, years ago floated out, Hey, a Friday next month, take off guilt-free PTO, right? Not that they should feel guilt, but I know that some people do in taking time off from work, especially depending on where they are relative to their goals, et cetera. But if you run in a good culture, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be afraid to take it off. But I think it's that guilt-free freebie day off. It was a huge success. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. People will grind the phones and their emails to get a a Friday off that they didn't expect to have otherwise. But I think we talk about that. What do I value? And that time is a big one time, whether it's with my friends, my family, whatever that is that now I get that. And it feels really special because I earned it. And it's that having an option. I think too, there's something about, okay, if I value this $25 gift card more than two hours extra on my weekend, you know, I get that choice. That's something special and magical (laughs) in having an option, right? Yep. No choices, right? Make sure that just like you said, every individual is different, right? So make sure you're offering say, you know, a variety of spiffs or above planned incentives or, you know, non-financial offerings so that everybody has a little bit of what they're looking for available to them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. So if 33% more people hit quota when they do a variety of non-financial incentives, I mean, this to me sounds like something that everybody should be doing, right? And I think some people do it, but maybe could do it better. So let me ask you this question. What are some of the things that, you know, you've seen that were successful? You mentioned the day off, right? That's a great one. But what are some other rewards or spiffs that you have done that have gone really well with, you know, your, your teams now or teams that you've, you've worked with in the past or maybe even for you? Yeah, I think um, I, back when we were in the office, but I think there's a way to do it now too. I've seen, um, you know, lunch with some senior leadership or, Um, lunch with the executive team, if that's a spiff or an award. I also think that there's a lot of merit in just appreciation and gratitude. And if they close a big deal, if they hit a milestone in their prospecting efforts, sending an email up the chain and having that visibility to senior leadership within the company and copying them in and just saying, Hey, you know, Mike did this today and it was awesome. Look at his progress. Look at his sale. This is what it's doing for the company and just spotlighting them. That goes a long way. Yeah, it does. And you know what? It also puts a burner on the other team members when they see their colleague who we hope they would be somewhat competitive with getting that sort of recognition all the way to the top of the organization. They're going to say, Hey, I want to be on that next email, you know? Exactly. Yep. And the other thing that I do is um, I put time on my calendar every week to go through gratitude. And I think that it's something that's small and it can be really challenging, but being able to set aside time and just think about the little day-to-day things that I want to reinforce positive behavior with my team. And I would write just one person a week, if you know, you can start there, just a, hey, thanks for doing this. Be really specific with what I'm calling out. Um, I really appreciate the way that you handled this phone call. This is why it's important to me. And I feel so lucky to you know, be on the same team as you. Cheers to your continued success, whatever that looks like. Yeah. That handwritten note from me 
seeing something that they're doing and putting in effort, it tend to help their own like effort towards their goal, but also our relationship. Yep. Now, listen, uh, I'll tell you, if someone writes me a handwritten note, I, I take a lot more uh, a note of it than if it's something generic or, you know, something done at scale and I'm just another name on a spreadsheet, right? Exactly. So it does make a difference. And I think it kind of pivots us nicely or, you know, to, I think the third strategy of yours when it comes to motivating sales teams, and I know you're really big on this, which is the feedback component. So tell me a little bit about, you know, feedback in its role in motivating sales teams as far as you're concerned. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times we um, we feel as salespeople that we have to be on an island and we're it's a solo sport. And yep. there's a way for this to be something that we can individually grow at, but also lean on the team. And I feel like feedback is that that component that lends towards this. So I'm sure I feel like this is a, a comment, the compliment sandwich, right? Where you're like, some people need that when they get feed. It's that we we're going back to number one here again, Mike, it's like, we're all individuals. How does that person want to receive feedback? Do they want direct or do they want the compliment sandwich? Are we giving them you know, enough feedback? How often do they want to want feedback? And I feel like we all have our own appreciation and our own um, channel that we want to receive that in. So I, I like to open it up and ask my first one-on-one, Hey, how do you want me to give you feedback whenever we're listening to calls? How do you want me to share if I think that there's something that you could be doing differently, do you want me to be direct? <laughs> yep. Let them, let them opt in. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it, listen, it, it's, it's true because, you know, salespeople are sometimes supremely confident and that can be a, a gift and a curse, um, probably in equal measure both ways. But, you know, even the most confident love to get that feedback, right? It feeds whatever makes them supremely confident in the first place. And then the people who might not be as confident, right? It's a real lift up, right? And it helps them build that confidence that they might be able to, you know, eventually have for themselves innately and by nature, right? Yeah. And when we're talking feedback, I feel like we typically share feedback. It's true about, you know, you think about going to a restaurant and if you have a bad experience, you're going to tell everyone, you know, but when you have a good experience, people often just keep that to themselves and keep moving. And the the thought is we do that with our teams as well. When we see something to correct, we talk about it, but we don't always talk about the good. So I tried to like make sure it was at least equal, if not more, on feedback around the good and reinforcing the good, um, as well as balancing it with what needs correction. Yep. And, and how important is it to kind of build a culture of, you know, seeking feedback amongst the team, right? I think there's, there's the element, of course, of what you can bring to motivate your sales team. But I think it's also good to build in them that curiosity or that, you know, hunger for, um, you know, uh, some sort of validation or a check-in on how they're doing relative to their goals. Do you think it's important to build that culture of seeking feedback as well as receiving feedback well? 
Definitely. And just, I think a lot of that can come from creating a safe environment of having that and asking for it ourselves. I was always worried if I'm standing in front of a room of people and no one has any questions for me, that's not a good sign, (laughs) right? Right? That's mean, okay, so I obviously didn't do something right. I didn't explain something or it's not connecting in some way. Help me understand where I went wrong. And I think that opening yourself up to asking for that, you're modeling that behavior for your team, but then encouraging them to do it with their clients and their prospects as well. Asking for feedback there, asking for feedback from your peers. And once we get in that cadence, they're hearing other people doing it. They're hearing their leadership do it and model that. It just becomes the norm around, um, around the whole team, around the whole company. How do you make it a part of your team culture, right? I think culture ends up being, you know, if I'm thinking like uh, Ben Horowitz book is like, you know, your culture is what you do. I'm paraphrasing, but what you do is who you are. So how do you get into that flow or that consistency of giving feedback often enough that it becomes the norm? How do you teach yourself to be consistent about it? I make an agenda for everything. That's like the type A. (laughs) But I put it in there, right? Like we're gonna we're gonna talk feedback in our one-on-ones. We're gonna talk feedback in our team meetings. If we have any sort of event, like I'm sending you a survey asking for feedback about any presentation I did. Um, like I used to sit in on calls or demos. I ask them how they feel they did, what feedback they're giving themselves before I'm chiming in and saying anything and allowing their peers to have that conversation as well. But I think that talking about the difference between constructive and there's a point where it's you, you shut down. We all need the positive as well. And a lot of times when we're giving peer feedback in a big group like that, it's here's the one thing you did great and the 10 things that you could do better. And that just shuts people down and it we curl into ourselves and we don't hear any of it. We just hear that we're bad. So I like to just choose one, maybe two things that we're going to work on. And then let's have some sort of follow-up for that. Okay. Here's the one thing I'm hearing that I really want us to focus on right now. Let's fix this one issue because that's not daunting. It's like your chores at home. If you can pick one thing and just start there, then you get on a roll. And you can start fixing other pieces and cleaning up different things. But if you have this huge list in front of you, that seems overwhelming and it can just shut you down and completely turn the team into just, you know, I'm a robot now. (laughs) Yeah. You stress them out, right? You know, they're thinking about 20 different things versus, uh, you know, one or two. If they were focused on one or two, they might actually make some gains. But otherwise, you, you dilute it so much, they don't know where to start or finish. Right. So, Much more manageable. Yeah, for sure. Now, is it important to, to also encourage, you know, if you're leading a team, right, it sounds like, you know, building a culture of that consistent feedback is your advice and, you know, making sure you stick to it. It sounds like with you, you know, as you said it, not me, your type A allows you to do that, right? But yeah. I think for, I'll admit it, for me, sometimes I have to remind myself to do things like that, right? Not because I don't want to, and I don't think that they're valuable, but maybe it doesn't you know, come as naturally to me to think about doing this at scale or with specificity um, in the ways that you need to. So I usually will block some time and, and, you know, that's how I manage it as a leader. But is Mm -hmm. it also important to encourage 
a culture of feedback amongst the peers, like the individual contributors that are on your team, maybe you know between teams or departments that are working towards revenue. Um, do you want them also giving constant feedback? I love that. I think it's so important, and it it, it is a like blocking time. I think is the best way to do it because so many of us live by our calendar, and then as soon as we get a demo or a meeting or a prospect says yes to a call. Those are the types of things that get thrown out the window. Oh yeah, I meant to tell you that I heard the call that you made, especially working from home. We're all in these silos and we don't have that opportunity to listen to our peer next to us making the same calls and hearing what they say. So if we can set aside specific time and help there be some sort of interdepartmental or even you know, peer-to-peer just time for them to sit together. What are you doing? What's working for you? It's been really hard. Um, you know, you sit yeah. at home and there's no one here to say, oh, hey, next time try this instead. Yep. Yeah. And I think even, you know, there's a constructive and, and feedback, of course, but that positive praise and public feedback from peers, I think goes such a long way. I've seen it have, you know, higher ROI than, you know, manager to, to team member feedback in so many instances. So I think if you can build that and make it consistent and you see people doing it on your floor or, you know, on our Zooms now, I think you're probably <laughs> doing something right. Yeah. You know? Let's all celebrate each other. Yep. No, I think if you're, if somebody was to describe your organization as being one that celebrates, uh, you know, its peers and, and its partners, I think you've probably got uh, the fundamentals to a good culture down already. You know? mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really like that. I, listen, I think, you know, overall, um, this is great feedback and some great thoughts on, you know, motivating sales. There's a lot of different ideas and, you know, methodologies around this, but I think, <clears throat> you know, from what I'm hearing from you is understand the individual, right? Everyone's different. So customize it, um, be creative, right? And use financial and non-financial rewards. And then finally, you got to create an available and consistent culture of feedback. And if you do those three things, you're probably doing a pretty damn good job of motivating your sales team. Mm-hmm. Here, here. Yeah. Here, here is right. I love it. I love everything that you said today. I believe in it. And I think it's a huge um, contributing factor as to whether you have a well-oiled, you know, running machine for your sales organization, or if you don't. Any other thoughts today before we, uh, we kick it uh, to, to the conclusion and uh, we, we tell everybody how to get in touch with you? I will say I felt like as a new leader, I was really overwhelmed by all the things that you're supposed to be doing to create yeah. this culture and keep this going. And I think if you can just take it baby steps, it's the same thing we talk about with feedback and um, making sure that there's the balance. Do one little piece at a time, take one little step at a time and start incorporating some of these as you move forward. Um, it will have the snowball effect. Don't be yeah. overwhelmed. I agree. And I think, you know what, not only do you make faster and better progress that way, but you also can feel like you're, you're making progress and you're being successful when kind of reflecting on it yourself. If you're trying to do everything at once, you're never going to feel like you're getting it done, mm-hmm. which isn't yeah. a very satisfying way to live, you know, if you ask me at least. So anyhow, 
All right. Well, listen, Leslie, thank you so much for your time today. For anybody in our audience that wants to get in touch with you, maybe reach out and say they loved what you had to say or wants to talk to you about JB sales training, how could they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can visit our website at jbarrows.com. It's B-A-R-R-O-W-S. And my email is leslie at jbarrows.com. You can also find me on Instagram at talking underscore with underscore Leslie. Thank you again, Leslie, for stopping by to chat. On our next episode, we're discussing account-based marketing. Nick Bennett, Director of ABM and Field Marketing at Alice, will be chatting with us about how to coordinate sales and marketing for successful targeted strategies. Here's a sneak peek. And I just wanted to get a little background on this for the audience, but you said, here at Alice, we don't use MQLs anymore. We use marketing qualified accounts. Tell me more about that. So I've been wanting to preach this for about a year and a half now. And no, not many companies have adopted this model because you really need like an intent tool, like a sixth sense or Bambora to be able to like help with that. But for us, we would much rather score an account and then pass that over to the BDR team or AE versus like scoring individual leads. We are now on all of your favorite podcatchers, including Spotify and Apple. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. See you next time. Talk of the Trade is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Find out more at www.mimeo.com.